You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. As has already been said, it's a blessing to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible with you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I see we have a lot of visitors with us uh, this morning. I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here uh, at Midtown Two Notch. Very glad to be able to get into the word of God with you. I can't remember the last time I've been this excited to preach before you. I know we've had some guest speakers uh, the last few weeks. I even got a text message in the middle of the sermon last week asking me if I still preach here. (laughs) So y'all can't get rid of me that easy now. Not that easy. Excited to get into the word of God today. As I was thinking about the sermon for today and what we might look through in God's word I was reminded of last Easter, which was a time when we weren't able to be together, even in the limited capacity that we have here today. I remember just being a few of us there, myself and the praise team and some of our production volunteers that were serving with us faithfully that day as it was not too long after the pandemic had began. I began to to think about and consider the last year and really over a year that we've endured and experienced together. So I started doing some research as far as what are some of the things that happened last year in 2020. In January 21st, the CDC announced the first known case of COVID-19. January 31st, the World Health Organization issues a global health emergency for just the sixth time in history. On February 3rd, the U.S. declared a public health emergency. On March 13th, the Trump administration declares COVID-19 a national emergency. On March 15th, the CDC begins to recommend the restriction of public gatherings, and that led us to not worshiping together last year on Easter. Since then, many lives have been lost. Many have had to grieve the loss of their loved ones. There's been great fear, great loneliness, great isolation for many of us. Many have reported that the rate of depression has tripled since the beginning of this global pandemic. And that is just on top of the usual suffering and pain that we endure in this broken world. There's a proclamation that Christians throughout the years have said together on Easter Sunday. Whether speaker says he is risen and the congregation says he is risen indeed. Might we say that together? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Today, my aim is to help us to realize and cling to that truth as more than just something we understand with our minds, more than just something we profess with our lips, but as an anchor for our very souls that we can rely on no matter how difficult 2020 was, no matter how difficult 2021 is or any other year of our lives, that we would know our risen Savior in such a way that we can find hope and strength to endure in the joy of the Lord, whatever might come our way, even in the darkest of times. Unfortunately, oftentimes when we experience the darkness of our world, it causes us to take our mind off of God. The the pain often causes us to, to forget the goodness and faithfulness of our God. 
In the text that we'll be looking at today, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's dying for the sins of the world. The curse of sin, as it's known by many theologians, has led to much damage and suffering and death and corruption in the world, dating back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. And now, on the cross, it is what I consider to be the pinnacle of sin, the pinnacle of darkness, where now the, the sin and the suffering and the death that we experience in this world has made its way to God himself. For God, the holy and perfect and almighty creator is now suffering under the worst of the effects of sin, including death itself. The Roman Empire, the greatest earthly power at that time, they have taken him. They have put their hands on him, on God himself. They have seized him with the hands that he created. And they have bound him. They have ripped off his clothes. They spit on his face, the very face of God. They placed a crown of thorns on his head and then they've beaten him on the, over the, on the top of the head, excuse me, with rods. They've punched him in the face. They've beaten him in a variety of ways. They've whipped him with a whip that is designed to rip the flesh off of his bones. They forced him to carry his cross up the hill called Calvary. And they, they impaled him to that cross by nailing him through his hands and through his feet. They're executing him in the most painful and the most shameful of ways. He looks weak. He looks beaten and defeated. He doesn't seem like our almighty God. His situation is one that, where it looks like there's no way he could be the one that actually saves us. Those who are around him, they're looking at him and seeing the situation that he's in, and they conclude that he's not actually powerful enough to do what he says he can do. And we look at what they're saying about him in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 35. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Oh, you're the chosen one of God. You're the Messiah, right? You're supposed to save us. Well, we need to see you save yourself first. You can't even save yourself. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an, ins an inscription over him saying, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, verse 39, one of the criminals who were, who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So they're saying, oh, he says he's the king of the Jews, right? Go ahead and put a sign over him that says king of the Jews. Since that's who he says he is, that's who he claims to be. One of the criminals, that word railed, is where it says they railed at him, is the, the Greek term blasphemeo, is to defame, to rail on, to revile, to speak evil of. The, even the one hanging beside him was mocking him, saying, come on, Jesus, you're the Christ, right? You're the Savior of the world, right? Then get yourself and us down from here. The implication is you are who you say you are. You're weak, just like me. You don't look like a Savior to me. See, because of what the circumstances look like, because of how dark things seem to be, they believed that Jesus was not able to save. I'm going to say that again. Because of what the circumstances looked like, because of how dark things seem to be, they believed that Jesus was not able to save. Do you do that as well? Do you look at your circumstances and what you see around you in this earth and begin to doubt God's power to save 
I've told this story before, I believe, but it was probably around eight years ago. I was having a conversation, uh, really multiple conversations with a family member of mine. Uh, I don't know how often as Christians you've come across people who are very hostile uh, to the gospel and against the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. But that's what this this family member was to me. Anytime I try to share Christ with him, he found great joy in just mocking Christians, mocking Christianity and that type of thing. And I remember after many conversations, just feeling so defeated. He has so many intellectual arguments. Some of them I couldn't even really understand, much less be able to argue against. And I remember feeling hopeless. I remember praying for this family member of mine saying, God, you save him. I remember deep down feeling like if, if I made a list of people in my life that were least likely to ever be saved, this person probably would have been, if not at the top, very close to the top of this list. I remember at a, at a, at a family get-together one time, he, he said something that was a little bit different from anything I had heard him say before, and he was beginning to compare uh, Christianity to another world religion, and he was talking as if Christianity was better than this other religion, and I was, I was puzzled. I wanted to press a little bit, but I didn't want to get into one of those back and forth where we're just arguing, he's trying to insult as much as possible, so I didn't say anything at that point. Going on and on at different family get-togethers, I begin to hear him say so much more about Christianity being actually a legitimate faith to have. So I thought, God, God, you're up to something, so I'm going to continue to pray for him. I had, had a little bit more hope, and I continue to pray and talk to God about this family member of mine. And one day, I'm riding in a truck with him, and I just ask him, hey, what, what's going on? What, tell me what happened. You, you're talking about Christianity differently. Well, he was saying, well, I was actually trying to research another faith, and I found this Christian apologist that was, talk, was, giving, was giving all the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I started to believe that actually there is real evidence and real reason to believe in Jesus. So now I'm exploring that. So his conversation began, be, began to become more and more like he was believing in Christ and trusting in Christ. And I was hearing that from other family members. So we're riding in the truck again. I can't even remember where we're going at that time. And so I just asked him, I was like, yo, where do you stand with Jesus? Right now, like, like what, what do you actually believe about Jesus in here? And he was like, you mean am I reformed? You mean am I Baptist? And I was like, I said, no, I'm asking you, do you believe in him? Do you follow Jesus? Do you trust in him? He said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Who else would I follow? And I'm like, my bad, man, how was I supposed to know? You didn't communicate this to me. We've had a lot of arguments about this. Previous to that, I had let my circumstances and the conversations that we had had begin to cause me to lose hope and think that God can't save this person. I was looking at the, the darkness that I felt in the conversation, how difficult it was for me individually. And I was thinking, there's no way this, this person is just not going to place faith in Christ. But my God is powerful and your God is powerful to save. That there is nothing that he cannot do. See, oftentimes because of what circumstances look like, because of how dark things seem to be, we tend to doubt that Jesus is able to save. Do you do the same thing? Some of you right now are dealing with deep, deep despair. More than just sadness. I'm talking about hopelessness. I'm talking about you can't see any good coming from the situation that you are in. Your situation is bad and you don't think God is able to bring any type of redemption or salvation into you. As you experience this despair, you have no hope that God will be able to actually give you joy in this life, in the midst of what you're going through. You don't think he's able to do it. 
And when we do this, we are mocking God, just like those in Luke chapter 23 at the cross when Jesus is crucified. We're allowing our circumstances to tell us about our God. Or maybe you've been struggling with a, a, a sin issue that seems like you'll never get past it. You're looking at your life over, life over the past month, over the past years. You're still sinning and failing in some of the same ways that you sinned in the past. Maybe you still lose your temper. Maybe it's with family members. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with siblings. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with roommates. You're still looking at others with lust in your heart. You're still struggling to forgive people that have sinned against you. You find yourself loving the approval of people more than the approval of God. You still aren't being fully transparent with people that you claim to be in fellowship with. You're riddled with shame and insecurity because you find it impossible to believe that God can so forgive you that you are now acceptable in spite of everything that you've done. And you're finding it difficult that Jesus can actually bring salvation into your situation, that he can actually free you from the sin in your life that has held you captive for so long and deep down in your heart, whether you realize it or not, you are mocking Jesus like those in Luke 23. You're looking at the darkness of this world and saying, Jesus, I don't actually believe you are who you say you are. I don't believe you're actually powerful enough to bring the salvation that you say that you can bring. The darkness in this situation just seems a little bit too great for you. So you've given up on fighting the way that you used to. Maybe you used to wage war against your sin, but now you just kind of come to accept it as it is because you really feel like Jesus can't save you from it. But I'm here to proclaim to you today that there is a God that is greater than your temper. There is a God that is greater than your lust, greater than your unforgiveness, greater than your idolatry, greater than your shame and your guilt and all of your insecurity. He is greater than all of it. And he can clean you up. And he can save you from all of those things because even though your circumstances make it look like your God cannot save, even though those things might be dark in your life right now, just like it was when Jesus was on the cross, we must bear in mind that we don't let our circumstances tell us about our God. No, we let our God tell us about our circumstances. Don't ever let your circumstances tell you about your God. You let your God tell you about your circumstances. You need to see yourself as a person that, that relies on God and trusts in him above all things. We often let our circumstances convince us that God can't do this or God can't change me or I'm always going to be this way because God isn't going to do anything about it or God, you can't save that person over there. They're too far gone. Their unbelief is too great. Or God, you can't save me. I've sinned too much. God, I know you forgive all those other people, the, the, the nice church people that show up and do all the right things. But God, I don't believe that you have washed all of my sins away. I don't believe you're powerful enough to do that. We are like those we read about in Luke 23, letting our circumstances and all the darkness tell us about our God. But here's the thing. There's 24 chapters in the book of Luke. They were judging the author before they finished the book. Because in chapter 24, Jesus was going to tell them all about their circumstances by his actions. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, the they in verse 1 is referring to the women who had been following Jesus since he left Galilee. Side note, many of the disciples had deserted Jesus at this point, but the women that had followed him from Galilee had followed him even all the way up to the cross. They saw where he was laid in the tomb. So they are back to take the spices that they have prepared for his body because of his burial. Verse two, and they found the stone rolled away 
from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? We're going to come back to that. Verse six. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you why he was still in Galilee, that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise and they remembered his words. So the women go to the tomb to bring spices for his body. There are two angels who were there who asked him, why do you seek the living among the dead? Essentially, they're saying your savior is alive. Why are you acting like he's dead? You're at a tomb looking for a man that is alive. You're letting the circumstances and the darkness cause you to believe that he is not who he says he is. Remember, he had already told them that he was going to be crucified and rise again on the third day. The, the angel is asking them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He had promised them that he would be raised. Maybe it was their grief and their pain. Maybe it was how dark everything seemed to be. Maybe it was how bleak and hopeless everything seemed to be. But something made them think that Jesus wasn't who he said he was, that he wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do, that he didn't have the power that he claimed to have. He's letting them know you're living as if Jesus didn't get up out of the grave, defeating sin and death and the kingdom of darkness. When we let our experiences and our circumstances cause us to believe that Jesus won't actually do what he claims that he will do, we're judging the author before we read the last chapter. We're judging the movie before we're looking at, before we're looking at the last scene. It's like we're seeking the living among the dead. And when we do this, when we look at our situation, our circumstances, and, and conclude that God cannot save, we're allowing the presence of sin and darkness and suffering to cause us to believe that Jesus can't bring salvation to us. I want to say that again. When we allow our situation to cause us to believe that Jesus isn't who he says he is, we're allowing the current darkness to cause us to believe that Jesus is not who he said he is and cause us to believe that he can't bring salvation. But the visible presence and the effects of the curse of sin doesn't mean there's no salvation. Just because it looked like he couldn't save himself from the cross doesn't mean he wasn't going to save himself or be saved from death itself. Just because you can't possibly believe and understand how Jesus can bring salvation and redemption and deliverance into your life doesn't mean that he can't or that he won't. See, the term salvation means rescue. To be saved is to be delivered or set free or rescued from something. If we let sin and brokenness and darkness and injustice and injustice cause us to lose hope and become overly discouraged, we have forgotten what salvation actually is. And we've forgotten what resurrection actually means. Here's what I mean. Darkness, pain, brokenness, suffering, they aren't proof that God can't save. They're a prerequisite to salvation. The brokenness of this world does not prove that God cannot save. If there is no brokenness, there's nothing to be saved from. Salvation implies that there is brokenness, that there is suffering, that there is death, that there is sin. And salvation means that our God is greater than that. Think about this for a second. There is no salvation without darkness and pain and brokenness. Without the darkness, there is nothing for the light to save us from. Without pain and brokenness, there is no healing. Without a battle, there is no victory. Without death, there is no resurrection. And without the cross, there is no empty tomb. 
Your suffering doesn't mean that God can't save. In fact, if you're a Christian, all of your suffering, all of your heartache, all of your discouragement, all of your trials and your difficulties and your fears and your tears, all of your misery, all of your despair just sets the stage for your salvation. David's victory wouldn't have been as amazing if Goliath wasn't a giant. The exodus from Egypt wouldn't have been as great if Egypt weren't so powerful and so much bigger than the children of Israel. The victory in the battle over Jericho wouldn't have been so great if there weren't these huge walls that made Jericho unable to be taken over. There would be no incredible healing ministry of Jesus when he walked the earth, if not for sickness and disease. And there would be no miraculous resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate today, if not for the horrible existence of death. And if you belong to Christ, the joy that you feel the joy that you will feel when Christ returns and wipes away every tear from your eyes, when he takes every amount of sorrow and grief that you've ever experienced and makes it but a distant memory, the joy that you will feel when Christ comes back and rids you of all sorrow and all suffering and all mourning in your life. All those things will just serve to heighten the joy that you have in Jesus Christ when he brings us to the new heavens and the new earth where every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more pain and no more suffering anymore. As your pastor, I want to tell you something because I love you dearly. Don't you ever let your pain, your suffering or your struggles with sin or the darkness around you tell you about your God. Don't you ever let it tell you that your God is not who he claims to be. You let your God tell you about your pain and about your suffering and about your struggles and about your sin and about the darkness and let, let him tell you that it's all temporary. That through his strength, you will be able to endure whatever. You will still be able to find joy and hope and peace in God. The darkness of chapter 23 doesn't mean chapter 24 isn't coming. It just means you're going to enjoy chapter 24 a lot more. The darkness of 23 doesn't mean chapter 24 is not coming. Let us not make the same mistake as those at the cross. Let us not live as if our Lord is dead. Let us live in the glorious hope of the resurrection of Jesus. So here's one question I want us thinking about. What does it look like for someone to live in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What is an example of what someone might do if they have truly placed faith in Christ and truly believe that he raised from the dead? If we truly hold on to that hope, what might we do? Well, we'll probably do the same thing that the women did who talked to the angel. Back to chapter 24, let's look at verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. These women went and testified about the risen Lord. They had concluded that this news of Jesus being raised from the dead was too good for them to keep to themselves. They had determined that the news that death itself, the great enemy of death itself had been defeated by Jesus Christ. And they say, we cannot keep this news to ourselves. We must go and tell others about it. We must go and testify about who our God actually is. We must go and testify that the darkness has been defeated, that sin and death itself has no hold on him. We got to go and make it known to others that there is a way that we can be found and saved from the darkness of this world, from the curse of sin. And his name is Jesus Christ and salvation can be found in no other name but his. They say we can't keep this to ourselves. We must go and testify about it. Continue on verse 10 says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So they're going and letting the apostles know. 
They're the first eyewitnesses, the first to give testimony about the risen Lord. And they're telling the apostles who are going to spread this message abroad. Verse 11. But those words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The people, the, the, the disciples, the apostles, they didn't believe these women. Jesus had already said it. Now these women say, no, I've seen it with my eyes and they did not listen. See, women at that time were, were so seen as inferior that their voices were extremely marginalized to the point that women weren't even seen fit to testify in court. But praise God that he saw fit to have these women testify about his saving power in his world. These women weren't allowed to testify in court about legal matters, but God trusted them to testify to the world about eternal spiritual matters. And I praise God for it. And we praise God for them. You know, sometimes I wonder if we still have people in the church like these women that will lovingly and joyfully tell people, I know you may not believe you, but I got to tell you about my God. I know you may not believe me, but I got to tell you about Jesus who defeated death. He got out of the grave. He died. He was dead, but now he lives. I know you may not believe me. I know you might have all these reasons not to listen to me, but I can't help and tell you. I can't help but tell you about the goodness and the power and the victory of my God that death has been defeated. Sometimes I wonder, do we as a church have people who follow in the, in the faithful footsteps of these women? who made it to the cross, who made it to the tomb, who found it empty and went and spread abroad to all who they could, who they could find, who, to all who they could share with, that Jesus is indeed alive. He was crucified, but he's alive. He was dead, but now he lives. And if you want to make it personal, you can testify a little bit more and tell them that just like Jesus died for sin and is now alive, that I was dead in my sins, but now I am alive in him too. I wonder if we are a people who follow in the footsteps of these women who look at the empty tomb and testify to a dark world that Jesus is exactly who he said he is, that he was dead, but now he lives, that his salvation is real, that salvation is found in no other name. I wonder if we are those who follow in the footsteps of these women and testify to a dark world that the one that they mocked now reigns supreme, that the one that they beat up now has all power, that the one whose clothes they ripped off is now clothed in glory, that the one who wore a crown of thorns now wears a crown in glory, that the one whose body they whipped now has a new glorified body, that the hands that they put holes in with the nails now hold us and will never let us go. I wonder if we follow in the footsteps of these women and testify in a world that oftentimes won't believe us, might think we're crazy, might dismiss us, but still say it is too good to keep it to ourselves. We got to testify about our God. He's just too good. I wonder if when we consider the resurrection of Jesus, it so burdens our hearts that we find so much joy in it that we can't contain it and keep it to ourselves. That we share with the world that's experienced so much brokenness recently. That we share with the world that, is, that has had to endure this pandemic, that has had to, to see and think about death so often, that has experienced so much fear and so much isolation and so much anxiety and so much depression that we share with one, hey, we found the one who beat it. We found him. He came to us. He found us first. But we, because of his grace, we have found the one who defeated everything that harms us, everything that ails us, everything that causes us to be hopeless and discouraged and miserable. He beat it. We found him because we, because he found us and now we are found in him. I wonder, do we follow in the, in the footsteps of these women who testify about the goodness of our God? 
Oh, may we be a people that testify that no matter what this world looks like, no matter what has happened in our lives, that Jesus lives, that Jesus saves, and that he is exactly who he said he was. Family, pray with me today. Father, there's so much hurt in our world. There's so much hurt in this room. There's so much hurt that we have experienced, that we have endured. And Father, there is even more hope in you. There's even more strength in you. You are our rock and our firm foundation. Father, would you so persuade us and so convince us of how good and powerful you are? Will you persuade us with your resurrection, God? that you are exactly who we need. You are exactly who you said you are. You will do exactly what you said you will do. And will you prevent us from allowing the darkness that we see in this world to cause us to doubt you? Will you prevent us from allowing us to to let the, the circumstances in our lives tell us about you, but that we will look to you and let you tell us about our circumstances, that all the darkness has been defeated, that you will come back and return for your people and bring us home to glory where we will enjoy your victory as never before. Father, help us not to just see the resurrection of Jesus as something we understand with our minds, something that we say with our lips, but as a reality, as a truth that we cling to in our hearts where we find true joy, true solace, true peace, true hope because you're exactly who you say you are. And that changes everything for us. We thank you for all these things. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.